Welcome to Lecture Call-In for Tuesday, December 26th of 2023, recorded on Tuesday the 19th, where laypersons and pastors gather every week at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time from wherever we may be to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is December 31st, the first Sunday after Christmas and the eve of the new year, and we're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year B. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our lead this week is our friend Sarah Mickelson. She's going to read the scripture and she's form some great questions that may be helpful to all of you listening in. Hello, my friend. What's the good news? Good morning, everybody. Um, We're reading from Luke, the second chapter, um, verses 22 through 40. Um, This is following the birth of Christ. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what was stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he, had it, before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation." which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, in the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer, night and day. And at the moment... At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. There's a lot to unpack here. So my first question is, how does this passage strengthen your faith? What do you got, Bill? Uh, First of all, Sarah, whether you intended it or not, for me, there's a bridge between last week 
the fourth Sunday of Advent and now the beginning of life after the birth of Christ with the first Sunday after Christmas. Because it seems to me your questions are continuing to ask us to ponder. (laughs) Each of your three is... um, personal and inviting us to look within and and to reflect and I, I appreciate that. Um, now we know that previously an angel had come separately to Mary and Joseph to announce to each of them the future birth of the Messiah. Now two other individuals, human beings, offer a message to the parents. Now one could make too much of that, but to me, Sarah, I, I love that the mystery and that interweaving of this divine presence that Sarah, uh, that um, Mary and Joseph experienced as an angel, and now two people. And as one in the fourth quarter of my life, <laughs> a senior citizen, I appreciate the lifting up of two older people. Uh, who clearly, uh, back to pondering and reflecting, are people who have come to a maturity of faith and are waiting and expecting God to be faithful to God's promise of a, um, of a Messiah. So your question is, how does it strengthen your faith? It reminds us that God speaks to a young, likely teenage girl, Mary, and to two older adults, a male and a female. Um, And that reminds us that God appears where, when, and how God chooses, often catching people off guard. I, I relish those moments, not just in sermons or worship, but maybe in a relationship or in a conversation where something is said or happens that that pulls me back, that invites me to a new perspective. And it raises for me the questions, who are the messengers today in my life and in the world that God is using to speak? And taking that it may catch us by surprise, in a sense I can't answer that question. I can commit myself to be open to being surprised by how God encounters me. Again, thank you for inviting us to continue to ponder. Thank you, Bill. Don, what are your thoughts about this? How does this passage strengthen your faith? Focused on the word strengthen. And, uh, you know, I feel like most days of the mundane, the daily life is all I know. That's what I'm given. That's what's in creation. And then I was looking at a notation from a sermon from John Debevoise almost two decades ago. He's the senior pastor of Palm Sea Presbyterian Church that makes this podcast possible. And he reminded us that the humanity of Jesus is a clue to the humanity of God. So what strengthens my faith is the, the connection of the domestic and the mundane and the scene too, the multi-generational, the gathering, the family gathering, uh, all that together. Because I think that the, the trick, the trap here is 
that the mundane is all I know, therefore I do not know. But that's a signal of lostness. And Bill, you talked about the where, when, and how, the inbreaking of things. I'd say the mundane is all I know, but reading this, it's good enough. Good enough. Okay. Not really lost because Jesus is saying the humanity of Jesus excludes the humanity of God. And what do I see in Jesus here? A gathering of the family, going about its traditions, reminders, memories, hope, declaration. It's all in the family scene, and it's good enough. And I think that means for me, Bill, where that help, where where that comes in, there's not a lostness in being, you know, domestic and seeing domestic tied to lowly things. It's uh, we get some help. Uh, and here you got the range of help from last week's passage with Mary and the angel. To this, we have some help. Angels, pastors, friendships, words of of support, retelling of stories, uh, remarkable stories. There's real strength in this, and I, uh, I, I guess my my strength is in just seeing over and over again as I age. This mundane, the domestic of it all, is the platform on which all the gospel rests. That's what I've got, Sarah. This statement and witness from both Simeon and Anna tells me that God shows up in the faces and actions of others. God keeps promises, um, giving those who patiently waited with hope to have an opportunity to see their hope fulfilled. And I think that's really an interesting moment for me. Um, Mary and Joseph model what it means to be faithful and obedient to the law and, and give us an example of what faithful discipleship might look like um, and it gives me footsteps to follow in. You know, I remember when I was a little kid, I liked to put my feet in my dad's shoes and walk in them, and my mom's shoes and walk in them because I thought it would be an interesting place to be. Um, and so having those shoes to put on makes what we try to do and what we endeavor to do even better. So it's being given a pathway to walk upon through the lives of these people. That's what I got. Um, I found that uh, the common images of Christmas and the nativity market the joy of the season, and yet this passage suggests that the birth of Jesus comes with a sword that will pierce hearts. How might we, like Mary, navigate this dichotomy, um, the sweetness and the sadness at the same time? What do you think, Don? It's tough to find happiness and joy when you're using a reference to a sword, especially in the way that we're all intuiting it means, especially in the heart and Mary. Uh, but I think there is happiness in its decisiveness. Uh, I don't. I think it's put here so we don't look away from it. And then, you know, my first answer when we talk about the mundane, the, the general lives that we have with our families, say, here comes a sword tough, but we're asked to confront it and not look away. And I think in this year, in this cycle, my answer would be, there's no evasion. You know, there's no lostness. And I said, you know, am I lost in the mundane, the, the mundane life that I lead? No, there's an inbreaking every day if I pay attention. There's no evasion possible. So the sword signals that for anybody. It's finished finished. This book has been written. Luke has been written after it's been finished. It's finished. Sword. It's decisive. 
is a certainty about it. There's no alternative. And it is filled with sometimes revolutionary happenings in our own lives. The world gets turned on its head. It certainly does in Luke. And here at the end of Luke, when you flip to the end, we're on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is still trying to explain. (laughs) Explain. Explain what's going on. Hearts are being opened. So I, I think there's no looking away from the sword, but I want to say that it's, I think, connected with decisiveness and and almost a promise that there's no evasion possible. So if I look at, you know, if I'm going out and feeling trapped in my little world, uh, even then, it's like, not really, no evasion is actually possible. That's a happy thought, too. Uh, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to evade the other side of the sword, that this is, this is this is going to be filled with confusion and loss and fear and running away. But it's still done. It's still done. And that, that this would be laid out in its all its fullness in terms of what the plan is going to be um, is a gift too. That's what I've got there. Thank you, Don. I'm a volunteer that um, uh, navigating the dichotomy is, is something I think about as slowly and carefully with deliberation, and I'm reminded of how Mary responded to Gabriel's visit and Gabriel's message last week with an, I would call it extraordinary patience and, and, and thoughtfulness. And I think that's the only way to navigate this particular dichotomy as well. Uh, being gratefully aware that joy comes with pain, or pain comes with joy, I think this might be a better way to say it, that bad comes alongside of good, or good outweighs bad, and that doubt reveals faith. I think that those are moments of granularity where I can feel the friction of my world and and what the gospel asks me to consider and hope for. So I'm I'm reminded how it's it's interesting to be um, suspended between two what feels oppositional perspectives. Um, and, and knowing that that's also a part of the strength of learning balance, the strength of knowing how to uh, respond in this world and sustain the balance between those two things. So you're not pulled totally into um, the negative and you're not living completely blinded in the positive. So this, the sweetness of standing between those two things with balance is valuable to me. What about you, Bill? How do you navigate this dichotomy? First of all, Sarah, thank you for being true to Scripture uh, and the messages here, the blessing of Jesus, and then this painful quote. I, I applaud that. And it's interesting. We've just come through the celebration of Christmas and all that that means secularly and sacredly. And here in the very first gospel lesson, in the new season, we are we come face to face with a sword, um, and and I resonate with what Don, you and Sarah had said, and I am prepared in a sense to echo it in this way. It, it reminds me that the gospel is that our salvation costs Jesus his earthly life. We need to remember that. There's the cradle, and there's the cross, um, and that 
that rings true. It reminds us that sin is real and impacts all of human life. Early in my seminary career, one of the professors, um, I forget what prompted this. It wasn't a part of this lecture, but anyway, something came up, and he said to us, you need to understand that much of the New Testament, while we think of it as evangelistic, it's reaching out to those who are not of faith, much of it was written because of conflict among Christians over theology, over behavior. And that was a whole new thought to me. And if you read the New Testament with that lens on, the professor's comment was right, that and well we know in today's world how poorly Christians get along with other Christians. We are better at dividing ourselves than we are at being the one body of Christ. So there's conflict even among people of faith. And every life is filled with joys and sorrows, accomplishments and failures, all of that. Uh, those paradoxes seemingly that are woven together. And as a fan of the 12-step recovery movement, faith in God enables us to accept what we cannot change while looking for the ways that God is at work in all circumstances. We know the serenity prayer. Accept what I cannot change, change what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I have added in my use of the serenity prayer the wisdom, and the willingness to know the difference. I can't fix other people. I can't fix every problem. There is, There are swords in all of our lives, but there is also the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Bill. Um, my third question is a quote from a song, uh, Love Came Down at Christmas. What elements of divine love do you read in this passage, or do you hear in this passage might be the right way to ask this question. Um, I hear that God will show up, that God will engage, collaborate, and redeem, and that there will be witnesses, and there will be wonder and there will be joy, despite the pain that might come with it. So it's this interesting um, for me, the, the beauty of Simeon and Hannah is that they get to see joy realized, hope realized. And I don't know that all of us get to that point. What about you? Um, I'm going to give Bill the next opportunity to answer, and we'll give Don the wrap-up. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I love that song, Love Came Down at Christmas. What elements of divine love? Um, Echoing what I referenced last week in the podcast, there are two people advanced in age who are able to see and experience God's divine love for themselves and all people before their deaths. It brought to mind, Sarah, my childhood growing up in then a very small church north of Orlando, Florida, Maitland Presbyterian. And one of the things that was rich about that church was the great mixture of ages. There were a lot of children. 
uh, and I was one of three in, in my family. And I remember to this day I can see their faces and the love and excitement they had for children among some older people. One, two couples had never been able to have children. And one of these couples, the Snyders, lived in a very small, simple home. They were not poor, but they they did not have a great deal of this world's possession. And I can still remember going to their home and their delight in us, my parents also, but their delight in children and how they expressed their hope for the future uh, with with children. And there was such a... Um, a love and a serenity about them that that I still remember. Um, and divine love. The passage reminds us that Jesus and his parents left this high experience in the temple and went back to Nazareth and went back to work. And Jesus flourished. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Whatever challenges they faced, and they had to flee to Egypt to save their lives, sadly, other young boys were killed. You talk about a mix of of joy and sorrow. There's a powerful one. But I love those few words. Jesus grew up uh, filled with wisdom. There is divine love in this passage. What do you think, Don? What um, what elements of divine love do you read in this passage? First thing is just looking around the room. You can, just, you can see the scene, imagine it, look around. You've got names, right? This is not an old person or a baby. They all have names. They come out of their lives. They come together as a family. They come together as a community. And you can just look around the room and see it. And I think there's a reflection of that in our memories. And what's to come as well. I mean, for me, I, if I could go to any room, I think I'd be five years old. My grandmother and my grandfather's house in the farm on a day when the entire family shows up. People from the 19th century, deep into the 19th century. I'd like to see them again, talk to them. So that's there. So in the room, I'm going to focus on Cindy and I'm going to focus on the old person, the older person. Uh, and I think sometimes this is stereotyped in a way that is, is less helpful. And that, oh, here's the wise one. You know, age equals wisdom. Generations equals wisdom. I don't know if that's the case. Let's bring it to the 21st century. I don't know about you. Sometimes you could stereotype age, and I'm an aging person, as jaded, tired, cynical, untrusting. So, you know, let's, why don't we pick that? Now who is this person walking in that recognizes what's going on? You know, there's a sword. There's a change. You know, are we cynical? Who's this person? And I can think of the people who lacked cynicism in the rooms that I was in as a child. And today, there will be people that will lift me up as we go through the day. So this is a person who is old, but I, uh, I, I see this, this vested in being able to make this declaration of what's seen and understood. And I'll just uh, wrap up with this, that, you know, we – we do this, we, we say his name, I say his name a lot, Bill Wallace, who taught lectionary class. Now, there's many people that teach lectionary class. He taught lectionary class at Palmas of Presbyterian Church for generations, and that's how I began doing the wash, rinse, repeat of lectionary. 
And so to answer your question, you know, there's, there's one name who we miss very much. And this passage was read two cycles ago by uh, the senior pastor of Pomacy of Presbyterian Church, just like all you listeners, if you've been on cycle, may recall, goes back a few years. And, uh, and, and John Voice, the pastor, said, Bill Wallace's inflection point was the birth of the Christ. And uh, he said that after he walked off down from the pulpit to let us know Bill had passed that morning. So here this one is. So I think there's great things awaiting for us today of all ages and all families as we journey about. And that's what I've got, Sarah. So anything before we go, is there anything else we need to talk about before we say goodbye? Yeah. Um, so, you know, today is Don Upton's last podcast. And that something wonderful is coming, and God's calling him something new. And I rehearsed this like ten times to not get emotional. But I know through this podcast, some of you have walked with us for at least the last 15-something years. And then you've come to know that Don brings one from his to any conversation. Perhaps, like me, you've discovered something new in a text because of his big-picture imagination. Or maybe you now know or think about the transfiguration as something independent of space and time, like me. Um, And thanks to Don, maybe you too have grown to love the everyman qualities of Zacchaeus. Don has the generous ability to bring all of us along with him, lifting each of us up to see the world in a different way or text in a different perspective. So thanks to Don, we are all in on the wash, rinse, repeat cycle and welcome it with zeal. Thank you, Don, for you've been a blessing to this podcast and to me, and you've made this little endeavor a joy. And if you are just getting to know Don, you've met a rare, a rare and wonderful soul, and I couldn't recommend a better friend. Godspeed. Bill, I see your mouth moving, but I, I don't think you're... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I will echo what Sarah said. I came to this journey later than Sarah, uh, and I had known Don before I joined this podcast. And absolutely, Sarah, I have grown from Don's perspective and yours and others. And I would say this, that you talk about joy and sorrow, Sarah. This is a joy and sorrow moment, a joy that Don is a person who is faithful to God's call. And in the final analysis, this is not a negative. Don's not leaving because we're a problem. (laughs) Well, we are, but (laughs) that's not why he's leaving. He's... uh, geographically moved, and in other ways, he's moving to other forms of service and ministry. So joy, Godspeed, Don. There's the sorrow that only God only made one Don Upton, okay? And we will miss something, but we have a plan going forward. Uh, We will be here next week. Uh, The staff at Palmasia is very supportive. They will be participating on a rotational basis, you will see uh, that 
we will continue without a pause, but we will be forever grateful uh, for Don's wisdom and his graciousness. More, it's just like you reminded me that I was muted. There are ways you don't know that Don has helped me uh, pick myself up after I stumbled with a technology or something else. Um, Don, thank you, and I know God will continue to work through you and be a witness to a world that is hurting and in need of good news. Thank you, brother. Thank you, thank you guys. Uh, I appreciate that. I love you both very much. Um, and uh, let's just uh, mention uh, uh, that during this journey, Charles Willard is, uh, is greatly missed. He, I'm sure he'd want to say hello. Uh, and he's been a big part of this podcast. And I also want to highlight Ed Eichmann, uh, who was with us for, uh, I think, about a year as well. It made this better as well. So, uh, all right, uh, we're not alone. Our friendships are reaching across the globe because of the marvelous technology that we're able to use. And I think those relationships that we're generating through the wash, wrench, and repeat of this resemble the Christ, and I hope it gives all of you confidence. Bombacia Presbyterian Church is a 3501. West San Jose in Tampa, Florida. For more information, you can go to pompacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A uh, dot, dot org. Excuse me, dot org. Oh, I got it wrong for the first time, pompacia.org. Go to that. We always recommend that to you for great sermons, discussions of lectionary, disagreements about lectionary, opportunities to take communion, great uh, sermons, uh, prayers. So check that out. And you're always welcome, and we'll see you down the road.